leads and directs, and we have been studying in the book of First John, and um, in preparing this week for First John, I thought, okay, this is what we'll do in the morning, and this now God seems to be directing for the evening, and then the more I sought the Lord, it's like the Lord said, um, no, you've got that backwards, boy. Um, what you have for the evening, I want for the morning. I said, well, what about the evening? He said, we'll take care of that later, all right? So, um, and he is taking care of that. But, um, and really the basis of this, what I was going to follow up in the evening that we're going to look at today, um, we've been dealing with love in First John. And love is doing what is best for the one loved. And often, um, what is best is not always what is easiest. And what is best sometimes is not necessarily in manifesting love what we necessarily want to hear. Um, so I want you to turn to the book of Ezekiel. Some of you were already to First John, weren't you? All right. The book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, if you find Isaiah, Jeremiah, then comes Ezekiel. If you're in Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, any of those, you've gone too far, okay? The book of Ezekiel, chapter 33. Ezekiel was part of the Jewish people that had been conquered and captured by King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were living in the Babylonian Empire. And the Lord came to Ezekiel and raised him up as a prophet to hear the word of the Lord and then to speak it to the people. In this passage, um, God gave him a message of what he wanted him to do. And um, we'll begin reading in verse 1 of Ezekiel chapter 33. You follow along in your Bible as I begin reading Ezekiel 33, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand." So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. 
Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So clearly, God gave to Ezekiel the responsibility to be a watchman. And he said to Ezekiel, your job is to warn them. What they do with the warning, that is between them and God. But he said, if you do not take what I have given you and give it to the people, he said, then I am going to hold you responsible for that. The responsibility, he said, as a watchman is to see threats and dangers and sins and to warn the people uh, to prepare accordingly and to take the proper measures and to give a clear cry, so to speak, of the watchman. This all goes back to um, the watchman on the wall that uh, these gated, walled cities would have watchmen when they'd see somebody coming that looked suspicious then they would uh, announce it to the city that they could be prepared and um, could take the proper means. <clears throat> this last week, we um, you probably heard a lot about the State of the Union speech. And, uh, and every year, the President, for years and years and years, the President of the United States has given a State of the Union speech. And then everybody gets in and, and dissects it, and what is this, and what is he saying here, and is that true, and is this true, and so on. Regardless of the State of the Union speech, um, regardless of what anyone says, um, I don't know how else to jump into this other than saying, truly... America is in trouble. And today, as a watchman, because I don't want any of us to be unprepared, um, we're going to mention several things here today. But I really feel that um, you've heard the analogy before in various um, applications but I really believe the average American today is, is like we're rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. And you may already be coming to conclusion, well, here's pessimist pastor with his pessimist message about our nation. That's fine. You can think that. Or some of you may say, it's about time you came out and said something about this or whatever. But I want you to try to put away any preconceived ideas, and I am going to present four reasons that 
why America is in trouble. And, and then we want to look at, okay, what am I to do about it? And, um, and understanding our responsibilities. Number one, I believe, and, and these aren't necessarily in condescending or ascending order, I believe America is in trouble because of the 57 million people we have murdered since 1973. When we were in Europe a number of years ago, some of us had the privilege, privilege, I don't know if that's the right word, we had the, the grave opportunity of visiting Auschwitz, a prison camp where... Um, during World War II, um, hundreds of thousands of maybe millions of people were killed. And to see, to see um, the gas chambers and to walk into them and know that lives were extinguished there. And there was just a, in walking into that, there was just a sense of solemn eeriness over the whole thing to see uh, to see a large room full of baby shoes of of babies that were killed in Auschwitz to see um, bags of hair that they harvested from those that they killed and were going to to then sell it for various uses that people had for it 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 was something that leaves you never the same. In World War II, the Nazis killed six million people. Since 1973, in America alone, we have killed nearly ten times that. Now, the fact of the matter is, let me quickly hasten to say, if anyone has been a part of any abortion, that is something God is able to forgive and bring healing to. That's why the gospel is so great that it deals with every sin. And we must be very careful as Christians that we don't just come out against abortion, but that we also really are for life. That we're for healing, that because we have believed the lie of Satan, that God is able to heal, God is able to forgive and I'm not going to belabor this point, but it is fitting that um, this last week marked the anniversary of the um, woeful decision of our Supreme Court. Incidentally, another example, just because something is legal, that doesn't mean that it's right. Someone has also correctly said, that until we as Christians change our attitude toward children, that 
the world will probably never change their attitude toward abortion. But one of the reasons I believe America is in trouble is because of the 57 million lives that have been murdered since 1973. Secondly, I believe we are in trouble because individually and collectively as a nation, we have been rejecting God's design and God's laws. We have calculatedly and steadily and increasingly moved as a nation further and further from God. We are moving to remove the very mention of uh, God from our lives. We deny His hand in history. You cannot go back and look in American history without seeing the hand of God. And our founding fathers wanted to make sure that we remembered it. That's why if, if you see the national monuments that we have, if you visit um, the state capitals, if you go back and look in our history, they were, they were decidedly and on purposely determined to make sure that God was honored and glorified. The um, Northwest Territory, when it was purchased, any states that, that came to statehood had to prove is part of their constitution that they were going to educate how they were going to educate the children in the ways of Christianity. We have removed completely from that. We have rejected His design in so many ways. We have rejected God's design for the rule of law. Our nation was established as a nation that is ruled by law. God established people to be ruled by law. One of the reasons our nation has been as it has been is because um, it has been a rule of law. Other nations think, how can every four years or every eight years you change leadership and, and it's not by revolt, it's not by a coup, and it's a smooth transition because up until recently, our nation has been ruled by law, not by individuals. That is rapidly changing. In fact, every one of these things that we're mentioning, we could do a series on, but we don't have time. But we, we are becoming a people that is lawless, no respect. Um, if you pay any attention at all, um, our government has no respect for the Constitution, which is the rule of law in our land. Um, and many, many examples. And incidentally, this has nothing to do with 
um, bipartisan or partisan politics. These are, these are principles. We have rejected God's design and His rule when it comes to the aspect of men and women. Men and women are different. Tweet that, will you? Okay? That's the most profound statement you'll hear today, right? We're trying to remove that. I mean, think where we are today. I, I, just, I just can't imagine it. We have rejected God's design regarding sex. Sex is a wonderful thing that God designed. That He designed in marriage. It's a wonderful uh, creation of God that He designed to be a consummation of oneness between a man and a woman in marriage. We have completely perverted that. Do you understand that next Sunday in, I think, Glendale, Arizona, will be the Super Bowl? Do you know as big or perhaps bigger than the Super Bowl will be the sex industry that takes place around the Super Bowl? They will be flooding Arizona with young girls and young boys as they did last year in New York purely for the exploitation of perverted minds and lives. It is astronomical. We can't even imagine it. And daily, what is going on around us, the exploitation of young lives in the sex slave business, is, is just nauseating when you understand what it is. To think God that created something as wonderful as this and looks down and sees how we have distorted and destroyed and perverted it, do you think God's just going to sit back and wink at that and act like nothing happened? We have rejected God's design for marriage that God said until death parts us. We have rejected God's design to the point that we as a nation are without a moral compass. You decide what's right for you. I'll decide what's right for me. Hopefully we can learn to exist with each other. We could go on and on and mention, but when you reject the design, you reject the designer. And we have rejected the designer to the point that for years and years we have tried to explain away creation with evolution. If we can remove this God that supposedly created everything, because if He's the Creator, that means He can be the lawgiver. And if He is the Creator and the lawgiver, that means He is the judge. Ah, we don't like that. Let's, let's get rid of this whole concept. And any lie, if spoken often enough, 
will be believed. So we, as a nation and as a people, have embraced the belief that if a, if, if a mass or whatever you believe, if you give it enough time, millions and millions and millions and billions of years, something good will come out of that. That way, there is no creator. There is no lawgiver. We can make our own laws. And there is no judge. Hey, I don't have to answer to anybody. If God is creator, He is the lawmaker, He is the judge, and we are in trouble. You can't reject God's design and God's law without rejecting the designer. Thirdly, America is in trouble because we are turning our back on Israel. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, God said to Abraham, I'm going to raise up from you a great nation. And I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. Anti-Semitism is at the highest rate in the world today since World War II. Sad to say, including in evangelical circles. Many, many Christians today have rejected the idea that Israel is still important to God. They believe that, that Christianity has replaced Israel and that God is completely done with Israel. Now, incidentally, we live... There's so many avenues to go, but we live in the church age today. God is dealing with the church today. But that day is going to end when He comes again to catch believers up to meet Him in the air. Then begins a seven-year period of tribulation where God immediately puts Israel back on the main track, so to speak, and He works to bring Israel to Himself. But the principle still stands in the church age, as throughout all history, you bless my people, and I will bless you. You curse my people, and I will curse you. There is a reason America has been blessed of God. There are many reasons. But one of them is this. In, in Psalm 122, he said, I want you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How we respond to Israel. And, and you, can't, you, can't, you can't pay any attention to worldwide news today without realizing Israel is a key player in, in world history. And incidentally, right now in our nation, uh, the House of Representatives invited... Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, to come and speak about the dangers of Iran. Well, they are in trouble because they did not follow protocol, supposedly. I don't know what the protocol is. 
Basically, they are in trouble. In case you've been paying any attention, they are in trouble because they didn't get the president. I was going to say some other words, but they didn't get the president's permission. He doesn't want anything with Israel here. But you bless my people, and I will bless you. It's an unchanging principle of God. You curse my people, I will curse you. Number four, we are in trouble because the fact that the U.S. plays no part in Bible prophecy. The Bible declares that in the last days, Israel will be in the land, which they are, It declares that a Muslim coalition led by Russia will attack Israel. Do you see that coming together at all anywhere? It will declare that an ancient Roman Empire will emerge as a world political leader. The European Union is the ancient Roman Empire raising its head again. It declares that there will be a one-world government, a one-world religion, but nowhere do you find the United States of America in Bible prophecy. What? We are the world power. We are the leaders of the free world. How will we fall? Are you really asking that question? Seriously, if we knew what was going on, we'd be asking, when will we fall? And the fall may not be a monster fall. But we are a house of cards. Our national debt. And it doesn't really mean anything other than it says, wow, that's a lot, because we can't even put our minds around $18 trillion. That's our national debt. And like I said, we can't, we can't even grasp it. But I'm just telling you, there's no way that we can pay it. Between Thanksgiving and the end of last year, 4,500 new regulations were placed on businesses that will cost them over $12 billion. At the beginning of this year, another 2,500 were set into place. These regulations, that's 7,000 regulations right there since Thanksgiving. These regulations do not stimulate the economy. There's no way of getting out of this mess that we're in. But God's still in control of all that. We are quickly becoming... A third world nation. We are rapidly losing respect and leadership. When a leader in our land says no challenge, no challenge poses a greater threat 
to the future generations than climate change, I think you understand how deceived we are. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. In case you're thinking, man, you are negative and, and these things aren't... aren't anything but the worst case scenario. Romans chapter 1. Notice, we don't have time to read it all, but um, beginning in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, right there tells us there is God does have wrath, and it's revealed against all ungodliness and righteousness who suppress the truth. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse... Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became vain or futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made with like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Notice verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You could write down there evolution, okay? They exchanged the truth of God, a creator, for a lie, evolution, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up when you no longer worship God. God gives them up. Now, now think of it in light of our society today as I read these next couple verses. He gave them up to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing that which is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their heir, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased or reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve those who practice them. Now, is that not like reading about today? That's why, this isn't my opinion, that's why I believe America is in trouble. 
History proves it. Go back and look at any nation that has done what we've done and see what's happened to them. History proves it. The holiness and judgment of God demands it, and prophecy declares it. Years ago, I'd watch football games, and the team couldn't do much until the last two minutes... And then the last two minutes of the game, they had a sense of urgency, and they'd say, they're running their two-minute offense. And they'd move the ball down the field and score. And I'd say, if I was a coach, I'd run the two-minute offense all game. And my kids and my brothers and others would say, that wouldn't work. They have a sense of urgency here. You can't run a two-minute offense the whole game. And I accepted it. I believed it. They don't call it running a two-minute offense the whole game. They call it a hurry-up offense. And why do they hurry up? They ran a two-minute offense because they know time is short. I attended a wrestling meet this last week, and I saw several wrestlers that were behind glance up at the clock, and they're down by two points, and they notice there's 30 seconds left, and it's like someone turbocharged them. And I'm thinking, if you wrestle for Iowa or Dan Gable, he's going to kick you somewhere until you do that from second number one till the whistle blows. We as Christians need to get our two-minute offense. So what are we to do about it? And I'm just going to briefly mention these, and tonight we'll quickly go over it. Number one, you better make sure you're a child of God. And number two, you better be building your faith. God has not given us a spirit of fear, and none of these things should fill us with fear if we are rooted and grounded in the Word of God and in faith, our faith will affect every area of our life, but our faith must be personal. You can't go by what your parents believe or what your husband or wife believes or or what your church believes. Thirdly, we need to see the big picture. God is at work. I am encouraged I am enthusiastic because God is at work and the day of His return is drawing near. I, I don't know when it will be. Um, I, I don't know that it will be the next year, the next five years or ten years. But I know pieces are moving into place rapidly. And my heart is encouraged, and my heart gets discouraged when I look at things, but I don't see the big picture. God is at work, things turn out right, truth will prevail, and God will be glorified. That's the big picture. What should we do about it? You better love others enough to warn them. The time is now for we as believers to stand up and speak up about the spiritual state of our nation with compassion, 
We need to speak the truth with hope. We need to share what God says. And with fervency, we need to pray as though everything depended upon God, which it does. I mean, think of it. We we are right on the verge of the Lord coming again. Even if it's another year or even five years. Think of the reality of this. I mean... The Lord's coming doesn't mean there won't be difficult days. Honestly, um, I don't want to pour any more. Well, maybe I do. Um, I don't want to rain on your parade any more than I already have, but there's another thunderstorm coming in right here, so that's a thunderstorm warning, okay? Do you understand every one of us could wake up tomorrow morning And all our retirement and all our savings could be gone, just like that. It has happened in many other nations, and to think that it will not happen here, we are greatly deceived. That is when you are going to wish, and I am going to be thankful that our faith is not in anything but God. I mean, this is... In my list, I'm not making a list here of go out and dig a hole in the mountain somewhere and, and build a bomb shelter and get wheat and kale and all that stuff. The point is not to be the last man standing here, okay? The point is to bring light to darkness. And people know, generally speaking, people know that things aren't well. People that are paying attention. I I talked to someone yesterday and they have relatives in Canada and they said, man, they're not happy up there, this oil thing, and they're anticipating a huge recession in the next month. They're already laying off people in North Dakota greatly in the whole oil thing. People know things aren't well, but we need to bring the truth that it can be well with my soul. To love others enough to warn them, and then we need to repent. A change of mind. God, I've been living for earthly things Time is now that we realize we can't fix ourselves. That God can, and literally we need a spiritual awakening in this land. Our job is to speak the truth with compassion through our lives and through our words because only the truth brings life and help and hope. And we have that in Christ. We, we sang all these songs this morning about, about heaven and about His grace in our lives. And, and understand, this is not heaven. It never will be heaven. But this is a place God has put us now to represent Him. And understand, these can be great days of testimony of the grace of God 
if we're rooted and grounded in God. Will our faith stand the test? So what do I do about it? Make sure you're a child of God. Build your faith. See the big picture. Love others enough to warn them and repent. Turn from, I know this, I shouldn't be. I, I need to see it from God's perspective. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would truly see the big picture today and that our hearts would be encouraged. Lord, I rejoice that you are on the throne. I rejoice that you dwell within us as believers. And I pray for anyone here today that is not 100% sure that they are a child of yours. Lord, I pray today that they would call upon you for the forgiveness of sin. Then, Lord, I pray for every one of us as believers. I pray that daily we would be building our faith. And when the storms of life come, that our faith would stand because it's built upon you. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage and and wisdom and compassion and boldness to speak the truth in love, to care for people and, and to manifest Your love through our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would walk by faith, not fear. Lord, we submit ourselves to You and we say, Use us, Lord, for Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed.